Happy Tuesday. Good morning, everyone. It is the 1st of June. We are already in June. We are already in June. We wouldn't know it, of course. No. Because it's <laughs> chilly. 50 degrees Fahrenheit out there. Yeah. 50. Which our celebration is we are having an actual spring, which you don't always get in Oklahoma. It's so true. An actual full spring. So we are not complaining at all. No. Just acknowledging. Celsius, it's like in the teens. Yeah. It's cool out there. It's mm-hmm. not hot, but it, I mean, it's not, it's not cold at all, but it's cool. Yeah. You need a little jacket here and there. You do. And it's rainy and mm-hmm. definitely um, not our typical June weather. Yes. By mm-hmm. any stretch, mm-hmm. which I think the whole country is having the same thing here mm-hmm. in the United States. Yeah. It's not just us. It's cooler. We're just talking about it. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're sharing it. Yeah. Because we're looking outside, and it doesn't look like the June that we know. But June it is. Mm-hmm. And we had a birthday yesterday. Yeah. Allie. Yeah. Sona Ray. That was very cute. Yeah. There was a wedding this weekend. There was a wedding this weekend. Had quite a weekend. Yes, there was lots happening in addition to what, what all was being commemorated and remembered in our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this um, this is today, actually, right now, and last night was the centennial 100-year mark since the Tulsa Race Massacre, mm-hmm. and um, it's I think I think it's just quite a day um, for everyone here and I think in the United States and maybe around the world it's certainly a um, it's certainly a topic that has finally we're grateful has finally received the light and attention and awareness from an awakened world that's seeing the um, horrors and the injustice and um, and this crazy mindset of inferior superior that uh, that needs to be put to death, I think, and resurrected in covenant. So um, Sunday night we got a text late with an invitation to um, attend one of the uh, commemorations on stage, which was pretty incredible. And um, so yesterday in the morning, um, we got to respond to that. And uh, so... In the Greenwood area of Tulsa, I think most of us know 100 years ago, yesterday, a, um, a 19-year-old shoeshiner um, was needing to use the restroom, and in those days, uh, horrifically, there were segregated toilets. And um, Drew Rowland was uh, black, and so he had to go to a particular um, toilet. And so he went to uh, the Drexel building and into a old department store called Renberg's and entered the elevator and the elevator operator, because in those days you had that, was uh, a 17-year-old white girl named Sarah Page. And she, um, there was some kind of a something that nobody fully knows what, but um, most people believe that Drew Rowland tripped and steadied himself uh, by grabbing whatever he could. And it ended up being the arm of Sarah Page, who yelped probably out of surprise more than anything else. 
and um, people people began um, running, and uh, and that alarmed Drew, and he took off, and that escalated things, and on it went. So um, it's interesting. Some of the writings that you'll read on the Tulsa Race Massacre is defining the the people, the white people who came from the at that time outlying areas, but you know, really probably a ten mile radius or less. You know, maybe a five mile radius um, with concentration within maybe a mile or two from downtown Tulsa. And, um, but I've always read the numbers to be about 25,000 people. That seems like a big mob. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it feels more like uh, a measurable percentage of the populace, like more than half. And that's a lot of people um, who descended upon downtown and um, destroyed Greenwood. And so, um, yesterday, I had this just real uh, honor to be able to uh, participate in the ceremony at the um, Vernon African Methodist Episcopal Church. We just call it Vernon AME, but um, it is the last, one of the last structures that survived. And um, they call the the level, if you walk up to the building, um, there's easily a six to seven foot wall section that they call the basement, but it's not an underground basement. It's a above ground basement. It was, it was above my head. So it might've been eight or nine feet. I, I don't, I didn't, you know, it was above my head. So, but, um, but that was that wall was original, and uh, and so the ceremonies were led by the uh, pastor of the church, Reverend Turner, and um, he had um, quite uh, a heart to bring together um, a very diverse group of people from Tulsa who represented. God. And so there was a large contingent from the Christian churches, um, the bishop of the Tulsa Diocese of the Catholic Church was there, and the Episcopalian Church uh, was there, and um, and then we had um, the Unitarian Church and um, the Muslim congregations and uh, the Hindu congregations and just just quite a quite a wonderful covering of of people who believe in God. The Jewish congregation. The Jewish congregation. Yeah, the um, one of the chief rabbis here in Tulsa was there, and um, and then the Reverend Jesse Jackson had flown in, and we had some congressmen from out of state that came um, and uh, the mayor of Tulsa uh, was not on stage but was present and um, so it was it was quite the experience uh, just joining together and uh, of course it wasn't a celebration per se right and um, you know there was there was definitely, a a tone that um, I'm not sure that I would say was somber, but was definitely um, definitely a tone of um, of reality to you know what was happening, and uh, so we uh, we we all got to. Um, listen to each other, share. I, I did not speak, um, but but was present and had a, a moment on stage and stood right off stage. And um, as I was watching this, Papa began speaking to me, and uh, he said a few things that, that really impacted me. So, 
I'm going to start by reading uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. This is uh, this is a verse that we really dove into in that chapter, uh, Picking Locks, which I'm pretty sure was resurrection, or gates, of course, it was gates, and um, terraforming gates. And this this is Jesus sort of beginning that story, and he's recognizing that a thief is someone who is um, is not caring for the people, uh, but maybe maybe is called to be, but is not is not going through the people. And I think from a religious standpoint, we have said that you know that that means they've not become Christians, but I think it's as much about not going, uh, not, not bringing people to the love of God through Christ within us. And that's, that's, that is Jesus, the gate. And um, so I'm standing there watching this thing happen, this event, this time where we're remembering what happened and and there were numerous references to, of course, the ground being, you know, uh, a sacred place because, you know, so many people lost their lives in, in that land. And, um, and I heard Papa say that the people came to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is exactly what happened that um there's a there's a, a woman she was maybe in her mid to late 20s when it happened mary uh, i think mary e jones parish is her name and she actually wrote down um the stories of the tulsa race massacre in the two years after it happened she spent that time chronicling it and um, that book is being re-released here in the next week, and um, and she she told stories of white people entering black homes with bags and just taking everything, and so there was theft. That things were stolen; they were they were taken from. Uh, the prosperous black community of Greenwood. And um, people were killed. And we, we don't know an exact number, but we believe it to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 people, but it could have been a 1,000 easily. And, and then 35 city blocks were destroyed and burned. And you, you just, you try to wrap your your mind around what happened. And when when I see this steal, kill, and destroy, and we know that this is not the fruit of love, this is not the fruit of God, and it caused uh, Papa to remind me of what Jesus said later on in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, Jesus is actually talking about the difference between this false Jesus, this false representation of God, and um, and the true one, the real one, and um, and so. Jesus was talking about the Pharisees, and um, and of course, it's a spirit of evil. It's a demonic spirit of evil. And I think 
we've used it to describe the evil one before, and that's not wrong. But um, but specifically, it's those people representing God, who um, who do not lead people to God through love. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. You know, Jesus gave us one so easy, so simple verb, you know, and it was love. Love God. Love your neighbor. And and that's how we, as gatekeepers, open the door, the gate so that the sheep can, can get to uh, the shepherd. And, um, and so, this really reminded me of the obstinate children that we talked about in August in Terraforming Bridges. And um, those who brought violence in the name of Jesus. And it, I, I've never seen this so clearly as I have now reading John 10 that Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about, and remember the Pharisees had faith, but they had no love. You know, the Sadducees had love, but they had no faith. But Jesus was specifically talking to the Pharisees, and that that Pharisee spirit is so powerful in the church right now, where there's tons of faith, but when love is tested, it's not there. It's It's just not, you know? And a uh, hundred years ago, it manifested in Tulsa, Oklahoma, as uh, a thieves who came only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just wrecked by by this and and Jesus uh, saying this. So um, I could spend a very long time just sitting in this place. You know, we know the story of the demonic civil war 3,000 years ago. We know how um, the, the northern demons empowered uh, those that worshipped them with weapons and technology and gave them uh, tools of violence and how the, the map of the world has been upside down all this time and and the south should be on top and the north should be on the bottom <laughs> and um, how all of those three major continents that we know um, Africa, South America and Australia were all um, indigenous and black people you know what we call BIPOC or black indigenous people of color and um those people were assaulted by the North. We also know 500 years ago about Admiral Albuquerque and the turning of a key and the theft of identity and inheritance. So we know the how now, and, and there's, there is such a massive um, healing that that is a journey that we're all on. And so for that journey, and it's just, you have to follow the thread of John 10, where Jesus describes the thief as being people of God who lead others not through love, but without love. And, and through those eyes, it just changes and or grows, matures the context of our, of our conversation so, uh, so um, significantly. So, to the redemption <clears throat> so we go to Proverbs 6, verse 30 through 31, which is an ancient um, quote that we've used. Of course, so is John 10, but an ancient quote that we've used. Um, and it, what it comes down to is that if a thief is caught, he must pay sevenfold. And uh, though it cost him all the wealth of his house. And um, that <clears throat> that is such a powerful, powerful thing for us right now. And um, so I went to the Hebrew on this sentence because I know God's got some redemption and some covenant for us. And so, who is this thief in 
Hebrew, and and what is our redemption? So the word is ganab. Um, I think is pronounced ganav with a with a vava instead of a baba, but it's a bait, it's a bait at the end. So ganab is Hebrew fifteen ninety, and it's gamel nun nun bait. So there's a bait at the end, and uh, but gamel is the first consonant. So so what does that say to us? So a thief um, tells us the story by covenant of bringing justice and mercy. And bringing justice and mercy will cause the royal priest to mature into covenant. Whoa. Bringing justice and mercy will cause the royal priest to mature into covenant. And, uh, and so, we know now that there is a journey of justice. And, and you know, it's not, it's not a journey of uh, condemnation. It's a journey of justice and mercy. And, um, and this sevenfold restitution is crucial for the world uh, to, to bring healing to those who've been stolen from. And, um, and once again, here we are in this year since the death of George Floyd. You know, you think of the date, you know, here in the last week, you know, we, we've, we've had that one year since George Floyd was murdered. And now we have this 100 year since here in Tulsa, um, the people who came, you know, this white mob of 25,000 person mob, you know, in a time where most of those people would have proclaimed Jesus. And, um, you know, we know where we live and we know what was happening in that time. And most of those people, if not all, would, if you had asked them, they would have said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. And um, they came to steal, kill, and destroy. They came to do everything that Jesus defined the thief to be. So, um, in, in the Hebrew sentence of Proverbs 6, verse 31, uh, there are many uh, transliterations into English. So, we have uh, restore sevenfold, we have sevenfold restitution, we have numerous ways that this has been brought into English. But I wanted to know, what is that word, that, uh, that word of restoration, that word of restitution, what is that word in Hebrew? And what does it tell us? So, the word is shalom, and shalom is Hebrew 7999. And listen to this. It means to make peace with. Shalom is a verb. And it's, it's all about making peace. And so, within this sevenfold restitution, we, we have a sevenfold restoration a sevenfold shalom, which is to make peace seven times over. And um, it's made from shin, lamed, and mem. And so it carries a covenant of revelation, of authority from intimacy. <clears throat> and, uh, and so intimacy is the key to what Jesus was saying in John 10.10. 10. So, the thief comes only to, th- to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, so that, so Jesus himself and the spirit of Christ within us comes that the world may have life and have a full life. And how do we get to this full life? And of course, the answer is intimacy, but how do we get to intimacy? And, and the answer to that is the restoration of the thief or the restoration of that which was stolen, those who were killed, and that which was destroyed. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And that is the ganab and bringing justice and mercy. And, uh, and so, we see this, you know, the world is using the word reparation. And um, because this has been made to be a political statement, you know, the political statement automatically draws everyone in 
to politics, which, which I will say this, treating government as source instead of servant. And that's, that, is the, that is the turning of a map upside down yet again, is governments are here by God. God gave us our governments. We celebrate our governments, but we recognize that their role is as servant, not source. But yet again, a church in lack still sees government as the source. And our call is to see government as a servant of what God has. And so, will government be involved? It absolutely could be. But is it not the greater work of the maturing sons and daughters of God to lead the church to a place of shalom? And um, so, uh, a reparation politically is being argued about the city's guilt and um, the city's need to repair. And um, the, those who have benefited are currently paying more taxes. And therefore, because they have benefited from a downstream uh, theft, that they should be paying for this. And of course, the other side is saying, why would modern day taxpayers fit the bill for something like this? And you, you have this whole political argument. But if we can depoliticize this, and just be the people of love we were created to be, then we know that God has a, a, a restitution, a reparation for those who have been stolen from, those who were killed and the descendants of those who were killed and uh, the descendants of those who um, were the stewards of land that was, that was destroyed. And uh, the land, of course, endured, but um, but that w- which was stolen and destroyed was rebuilt by those who took it. So, um, so what is our 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 call in this? Our call in this is to recognize ourselves in in that place God has for us as maturing sons and daughters, and that we all can steward this shalom. We can all steward this and make peace with each other as descendants of what happened 100 years ago and 200 years ago and 300 years ago, 500 years ago and 3,000 years ago, that all of these things have affected all of us. And whether we have benefited by the color of our skin or had detriment by the color of our skin, we have all experienced a loss because we are a whole um, that is greater than the sum of our parts. And, and that is because of what God has intended for us. And so, um, w- the gain in this is for us all to access a full life and for the maturing sons and daughters of God to be carriers of that. And so, by bringing justice and mercy um, and and receiving maturity from that 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 is the that is the royal priests will gain that that maturity and the thieves you know through this the redemption is that the thieves might enter into covenant and have that same journey of intimacy that the royal priests have and the victims uh, who were stolen from the descendants of those who were killed and destroyed from um, can receive shalom and um, and if the victims receive shalom, we all receive shalom. And if we all receive shalom, we have peace with each other. And we all can walk the journey of intimacy that um, that matures and and leads to a full life. And so, I think I think each of us has a um, a season of prayer and meditation and a season of choice and uh, a daily bread of trust that God is going to lead each of us into um, that journey of, of intimacy and maturity and uh, the fruit of healing and peace and um, a full life. Yeah, that is so powerful, just thinking 
we want the wealth of the house of God to meet the needs of the people and not be plundered through selfishness or not stewarding. And I think these, you know, this past week, but we've really been in weighty days for quite a bit of time. And it gets really um, more pronounced in these times of commemoration. You know, the um, one year since George Floyd, and then here this 100-year um, commemoration and hopefully restoration of, you know, from the race massacre. And, and every land has something that has occurred that wasn't the heart of God that needs restoration. I found it really interesting you spoke about regret last week. And I have pretty limited uh, seeing what anyone else is talking about. You know, I don't have a lot of, um, not access, I guess I have plenty of access, but I don't, I'm not on social media a lot, I'm not on the news, but things tend to, to pop up. And I saw numerous uh, ministers, pastors, were speaking about regret last week. Wow. And I was just really amazed by that. I love it so much when we, as his people, are talking about similar things. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just so so much confirmation that he's speaking. And um, I love when there's that unity that happens. So I, I just really paid attention to that. Like, oh, this person's speaking about regret. This person's speaking about regret. And... So, you know, just knowing we were coming to this commemoration and and we were having conversations here because Sonar, you know, did have a birthday coming. She was very aware her birthday, and I think this was the first year, but was on this date in history. And she turned 19, which was the same age as the young man who was on that elevator, and she, just over the past few months, was invited to work um, through her her school on a music video related to the race massacre, and so she got to show us that over the weekend. Um, so there was just a lot of connections and conversations we were having, and I had just gotten to a few weeks before we did land missions, and of course, we've done many related to the race massacre, but we go every time he sends us wherever he sends us, and so I got to be on a team, and one aspect we touched was that the remains of the people had not been found yet, and so I just been really thinking about that, and then over the past week, we just, the discovery just came forth that these um, 215 indigenous children were found in Canada on the grounds of a school that they were part of. And so I just been thinking about things buried. And in between there, we were at Together last week. And in worship, during during our collective worship, I I just became so aware of all the seed that has been given for us and the magnitude of that. And I think I was just being really stirred by the idea of what our testimony, of what He does, really enacts across the earth, just testifying. And and just with a lot of other things going on and other communications uh, that were coming from all over the place these past few weeks, and really asking Papa, why is this at the surface right now? Um, the weight of the seed really came. And then uh, the Blue Army was singing about, I have seen testimonies and then each time they would sing it the testimonies would increase and we got into billions of testimonies and 
oh, that just really shook me in the best way. You know, just really, I think, shook loose some cobwebs <laughs> um, of just how testimonies are really precious to me and how rarely we hear them and how often we're invited to share them. And so I was really, you know, I was already thinking about just buried things. And that was before, you know, the discovery of the, the children. And uh, so something that I kind of got led to in it was 215 children that have been found so far. So kind of the the story of it, if you haven't heard that, was in Canada, the indigenous children were required to be put into schools um, that were state-funded, and they were Christian schools, and they were put there to be assimilated um, into the culture, and they weren't allowed to speak their language any of that kind of thing. And it's estimated that up to 6,000 children probably have actually died through that, but only this many have been found. Um, abuse was rampant in these schools, and, uh, and they have related it to the epidemic rates of alcoholism and drug addiction in the indigenous community because of the trauma um, that was suffered, and the, the children were actually largely stolen from their communities to be put into these schools to be assimilated. So it's just horrifying what happened. And so with the 215 children, it just kept, kept that was ruminating through me. So I was led to 1 Corinthians 2.15, which says, For to God we are the fragrance of the Messiah, both among those who are being saved and among those lost. So whenever we're seeing something about fragrance or aroma in Scripture, it's, it's going to that sense of what we would call smell, but it's really discernment. It's a place where we're being invited to discern and recognize where there's decay and recognize where something needs to be restored. And so that's what Paul is talking to the Corinthians about here is you, you, prior to this verse, he's talking to them about you can't look in the natural. You weren't made for that. There's more to you. And so he's giving them this, this message of the Messiah and what life that really invites you to. And it isn't it isn't religion. It's this relationship that allows you to know the difference. And I think that's so much what Paul continuously wrote in his letters was, you're able to know the difference between what brings life and what doesn't. That's what that sense really does. It, it helps us discern what brings life and what doesn't. So, um, He's, he's been giving this message of the crucified Messiah and how it doesn't really appeal to the human, human mind very much. And those who will receive the truth of it aren't seen as very wise in the eyes of humanity. So they're kind of seen as foolish. And then, and this is one of those moments, you know, we've talked about before, Paul was not an eloquent speaker. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't given that gift to just draw people to how he was saying things. There had to really be an intent to hear what he was saying and go beyond how it was said. Um, so he's talking to them about faith not being in the wisdom of men. And in uh, the beginning of, of chapter 2, he's speaking of this hidden wisdom that the rulers of the age don't get. They're not going to get, and if they had, we've talked this about this before, if they had gotten it, they would never have crucified Jesus because they wouldn't have wanted to be part of that prophecy. They wouldn't have wanted to be a fulfillment of that plan. So, so in 1 Corinthians, you know, Paul talks so much about the wisdom of the cross, and then he talks about the nature 
of the Christian community, the nature that is within each person and then the nature that is chosen and that the conflict of the two. And then he talks about, uh, and this would be uh, further into the chapter, but he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And he isn't just speaking of resurrecting someone who has died. He is talking about that there are many that believe in that day, in that community, that there is no life in Christ. And I think this is something we've been talking about for a bit, that we're not, we're not trying to be a people with a facade that everything's great and we never have troubles. And we talked about that last week, kind of some of the ways people get brought into um, maybe religion instead of relationship with, you know, um, you'll always suffer, you'll never suffer, <laughs> you know, just those different things. And he's, he's saying, you're living like there's no life in Christ. And, and I'm taking that so into my own heart. I, I don't want to be false. I don't want to be fake, put on a display. But man, I want people to know that I have found where real life is. And I'm glad to be living that life, no matter what it looks like. And I think that's what Paul was imploring them to. Uh, you know, this this uh, book is filled with these urgent <laughs> appeals for unity and Paul wanting them to know who they are in context of the cross, like who they are. And really what that translates to is faithful followers. Like if we followed him all the way to the cross, won't we follow him beyond the cross and live as if there is life in Christ, because He was resurrected, we are ever being resurrected. So, um, thinking about that and these things buried and, and just recognizing how much seed has been given for us up to now, but it almost feels like there's still this requirement for more seed. Instead of walking in the fullness of the seed we've been given, whether as a people or each of us individually, there is something that has been planted in us that is precious. And then there are the things given for us that are so precious and making making the, I guess, coming to the awareness that that seed is real and it's meant to bear fruit. It isn't meant to just be buried. There is something purposeful within it, just like every life in these things that I think have become far more than stories to us with the race massacre, with these, you know, indigenous children being found, that there is much to resurrect and there is much seed to steward, that these covenants, these lives won't be void if we will steward the seed that was given through um, these acts of man. There is still there is still a reparation of God, you know, to come, and we get to be part of that sevenfold restitution if we're willing to give the wealth of our relationship with Him to it, towards it. So, um, I was really, we have been receiving many messages, like I couldn't even count now, of families who have family members who are struggling with the idea of suicide. It is uh, phenomenal in a not good way. So many and it's touching so many lives. And I was just talking to Papa about it, and he said, suicide is false seed. It is when seed isn't being stewarded, whether that is the seed of a life that was given or the seed of uh, something that wasn't stewarded, that was just let go of, that was just abandoned, but was his plan. Would we follow His will another way, or we don't follow His will at all? That um, 
that is a seed. And so the, the world is responding to this kind of thought that more seed is needed and, and suicide is a way it's coming present in our now. And so lots I'm praying through on that. But so I was looking at seed and I went to, of course, I'm always going to go to what Iggy shared years ago about seed, which just changed me forever. And I know many people forever. And then um, a place where Papa was talking about the seed of his word. And that was in, uh, I think it's Terraforming Communion, the chapter called Seeded. So one of the things I had discovered when preparing that was a word called sha'ar. And it, it, through roots, traces back to be a word for seed, but it's also a word for gate. And it means the remnant, that which remains, that which returns, and that which already has everything needed to grow. And what that remembrance spoke to me is we... We have so much seed. Let's steward it. Let's steward the fullness of the covenants and the considerations and all that was was sown into it. Um, that word also means to split or to reason out a gatekeeper and to reckon with. So again, it goes to this discernment of what brings life and what doesn't. And really putting our heart aim towards what brings life. And what is going to reveal to those who don't know that there is life in Christ. There is life in Christ and we're so glad to be living it. Um, <clears throat> who, who is someone that is seated? It's a faithful follower, just like uh, what Paul was talking about who they are in terms of the cross as faithful followers. So in Luke 10, 41, that's the moment where Jesus is talking to Martha about where she is. And he says, Martha, Martha, which I've said it so many times, but whenever he says a name twice, he's about to speak of covenant for that person, but also a people. Because everything Jesus said was for that moment and every moment to come and every moment that ever was. So it was for a larger audience than there ever has been collected in one place. So he says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and unsettled about a great many things. And we've talked about this over the years. What that, what was he really saying to her? What does that word anxious mean? And it's really pertinent to us now with such anxiety um, that is also rampant in the world. So anxious means to blow your breath in many directions. And as much as I don't like it, I love it when I get a very tangible <laughs> representation of something he's saying. So last week, there was just lots to be considered and and there were some uh, just different things going on. And so I came to this moment, and I actually was speaking about this very scripture <laughs> about Mary blowing, I'm sorry, Martha blowing her breath in many directions. And I did that very thing. And I was trying to uh, talk about something, share about something, and I must have pulled threads from so many fabrics. I don't know how much unraveled in that moment. I just know he put it back together. <laughs> but it was very, like, very real about just trying to blow your breath in so many directions, trying to um, think about too many things at one time and bring it all real time in a moment. And so, so I, when I got in my moment with him, Later in that day, I, I didn't say it this way. I didn't say, oh, I was so aware of this. And I think some of it came from those regret, that regret conversation. I was so aware of this yet. And normally I would have said, but I blew my breath in so many directions. But what I said was I divided my breath. And as I waited with him a bit, 
he said, yeah, you, you stopped letting the inhale and exhale complete each other. And that's what, that's what Martha, you know, did in that moment. And that leads to anxiety. You didn't let breath be completed or you didn't let my heart be completed. So we got to walk through all that on a personal <laughs> level that I did that. But um, I realized that's the conflict of the seed when when there's a seed we're given and um, and we we don't recognize when the enemy is trying to get us to react to a seed and when Papa's inviting us to respond because we've got seed within us and then seed given for us. And there's always been this conflict of seed. And it's really been about stewarding seed. Cain and Abel had a conflict of seed. Moses and Pharaoh, Isaac and Ishmael, um, Jacob and Esau. There's been all of these conflicts of seed. And humanity will always reveal the difference in seed. When it has, so seed is given by Papa, but there's a difference when it's stewarded and when it's not. And it's recognizable when a, when a seed has been allowed to just fall to the ground and not planted and not bearing fruit, there's a, you know the difference. And so that's one of the things with, in the story, well, in Genesis with Eve and uh, the enemy, Papa spoke, I will place enmity between you, which means recognition. The same thing was said of Jacob and Esau. Jacob, have I loved? Esau, have I hated? And that's a, you know, you have to really dig into a scripture like that. And basically what he was saying was Jacob is going to always recognize the seed and not just recognize it. He's going to carry it. He's going to plant it. And it's going to produce fruit. It's going to multiply. That's the, that's the principle of God is multiplication. More, more than enough. So all have what they need. That's, that's the seed that's in each of us, his people, to recognize and know his heart on. Elohim is a multiplier. Satan is a divider. So, you know, that was the scheme of Satan in the garden was to try to divide the seed with comparison and confusion. And then he came to infiltrate the imagination so man could envision a life with no responsibility for the seed. Just everything being um, there for them and nothing being given to them to carry, and to multiply. We've always been meant to be multipliers, every one of us. So the seed inside us recognizes and remembers the provision of the planter. If we will allow it to, if we don't discard that as unimportant. And the truth is receiving seed can be hard because a plow comes and prepares the way. And then there's a this it's disruptive when something is digging deep and you are being dug deep and things are being you know stones are being removed um hard ground is being broken up so there's a place for the seed the ground is unsettled just like what Jesus was saying to Martha you're unsettled cuz i'm here to plant something i'm here to give you something and and he was soon to be the seed of all seed, you know, and to reveal that seed always has a resurrection. You know, even the agricultural principle that a seed dies and then it bears. And he was going to die and then resurrect. And there was always this completion to happen. And so, and then also once a field is plowed and it's planted, it looks nothing like it did before. It, and so we can be afraid of that, can't we, to look completely different, to have an idea removed or a stronghold taken care of. 
But here's what is so covenant about it is broken ground reveals vulnerability. Um, it will reveal our vulnerability, but Jesus had broken flesh, which revealed the vulnerability of God and who he was. And remembering vulnerable doesn't mean exposed to, it means open for. And that's a big difference. Jesus was open for. God is open for. We get opened for something else, something beyond our borders. We get opened for it. So there's the enemy, though, always wanting us to confuse religion and faithfulness. To always try to say that faithfulness is religion. And none of us want religion, but we can, we can discard faithfulness because of that comparison and that confusion. Um, we will then begin to react to the enemy's scheme instead of respond to Papa's plan. And that strong, you know, strong reaction isn't the same as a deep feeling, and it'll cause us to toss the seed aside like we become sowers we're meant to be sowers but we can toss on the rocky ground on the ground that can't receive the seed and then there's this frustration and this anger and ultimately accusation about the seed itself he didn't give us enough if he had just done this if he had just done that and we lose sight of what we've really been given by him the principle of seed even agriculturally, is to multiply according to their kind, as it says in Genesis, and what that translates to is to multiply according to his kindness, according to who he is. It's not about, oh, we're a people and we're all alike. It's, we're all like him. We all have something of him to reveal. There's always two trees, and we've talked about that many times, and um Rahab was one who really, really recognized that. And even though she wouldn't have been considered of his kind, she was because she had just been waiting to reveal who God was. And so she remembers the story. Uh, you know, I now call them the troop of two trees, but the spies who went into the land and ten climbed this tree of not enough and two swung from the branches of all, all God had ever said. And they knew what he had said about the land. So most reacted to what they saw, but a few, a remnant, responded to the unseen, to his kindness. His kindness was for them to occupy the land. His kindness was for them to not even need to sow and plant and all of those things, but to rest. His kindness is always for us to rest. And so in this moment, Rahab recognizes the seed in her. And she says, and this is in Joshua 2, verse 9, uh, basically the people are melting in fear at the presence of God's people. The Lord will give you this city. I love that so much. They were melting in fear just because God's people showed up. And because of that, it wasn't just they were going to occupy that land and everybody would, you know, be tossed, but they were going to recognize how powerful this God was and be able to respond to that. And these, this seed was so strong that when she planted it in the two that came, they returned to Joshua and they multiplied it. They could have said anything to Joshua. But what they said was they repeated her words about who, because she repeated to them who, who she knew God to be to them. She had heard all of the, the exodus and the miracles and the victories and all that. And she reminded them of that. And Ah returned. Awe returned to their hearts. And you know what? Awe doesn't return because Papa one-ups himself. And that's what we ask for when we want more seed, more to be given instead of stewarding what we have. 
it isn't because he one-ups himself that awe returns. It's because we recognize that he has constantly come. That there's never been a situation or circumstance that he hasn't come into and given the surplus of what is needed for it and invited us to be able to bear him through it, reveal him through it. And so I just, from my own heart, I am like every testimony I've ever had, every bit of seed I ever know has been received. I'm recounting it right now. Testimony sorts seed. It reminds us of all he's done and reckons with us what may not yet have been stewarded to the fullness of what he can do, what he's trusted with us as seed carriers, seed sowers, you know, those who bear fruit. So I'm, I'm really excited for all the harvest that is going to come from this, from the, the gate that um, makes him recognizable. Well, that's really awesome. Yeah, I I agree with that. I, I think we should just pray right now, don't okay. you? Okay, yeah. Just, Papa, um, I think each of us knows that you have given us such a, a bounty of seed and that... Um, that it, it might, as Ma just described, it might actually be so um, so much that, that we have not chronicled and journaled every seed that we've received, but you know every seed that we've received in, in these seasons. And so we just ask you today for our daily bread of, of the nurturing of those seeds, that those that have not been sown will, will be sown in in their timing, in their in their field, in that spot that you have for them, and those that have been, um, we, we we choose to nurture, we choose to um, to care for them, and so we ask you to shine your light on those testimonies that we can recount them and recognize the seed like Rahab did, and we'll have um, such a uh, such a response. And, um, and not a fear, because it is time for us to be open. And that uh, our vulnerability is to receive and to give, and to receive and to give. And so, um, we steward, we choose to steward the seeds you've given us, and whatever stage that they're at, that we would be able to see uh, the fullness the maturity, if you will, of, of what was sown and the fruit and the harvest would be plentiful. And so we, we respond to you today and, and just agree that in the light of your presence, we receive daily bread of our journey of stewarding the seeds that you've given us. And we thank you for them. What a gift. And, uh, and we do not ever want to neglect what you've given us, it's so good. Yes, and Papa, we do live in the economy of two trees and always choosing, having this incredible choice before us of where to spend and learning that we can spend to uh, please man or for the approval of man or for the redemption of mankind and your glory. And what we want is for you to be recognized everywhere. There is so much seed, it would be impossible if it was stewarded to fullness that there wouldn't be such a surplus that you would be recognized everywhere. Everywhere you are, everywhere you've ever been, everywhere you ever will be. And we want that. We want the surplus of you, the abundance of you to be seen and known and experienced so people can choose differently than what they've been offered. They can see that there truly is an offering that's been given for each and every one of us. And 
So we thank you for that. And we do, we want to pursue this journey of sevenfold restoration, restitution of what's been taken. Like we are here to recover and restore. And we so want to do that. Where there would just be, the, the world would just be burgeoning with seed, all the things you've given that have goodness in them, yet to be known, yet to be recognized, and still to be given. We're so grateful to be in these days and to have life in Christ. There is life, and we're grateful to be living it. In Jesus' amazingly wondrous and beautiful name, amen. Amen. Yay. Yay. Love y'all. Love ya. Happy June.